Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of the Simply Scary Podcast is brought to you by Empty Faces. Empty Faces is a monthly membership that spins dark tales for you to investigate through clues, codes, and ciphers. Each box includes items to aid your investigation, correspondence to interpret, objects to explore, and messages to analyze. Nothing is as it seems. Like a ghost hunter, you must look closely at all the materials and think outside the box. Listeners can get 10% off their first adventure with Empty Faces using the code SCARY. Just visit EmptyFaces.com to sign up and use the promo code SCARY. Again, that code is S. C-A-R-Y to let them know the Simply Scary Podcast sent you. Before you know it, you'll be knee-deep in mystery. Stay tuned. The show is about to begin. to be unsettled. You've left behind your safe reality and fallen into darkness. There is no escape and there is no reprieve. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 3, Episode 8. I'm your host, Jonathan West, winner of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights 2017 Evil Idol Voice Acting Competition, and in celebration of the beginning of Round 2 of the 2018 Evil Idol Contest beginning October 1st, I'll be filling in for GM Danielson, and featuring performances from five hand-picked contestants who made a big splash with our judging panel and the audience in the first round of this year's competition. This evening, I'll be your guide through the twisted worlds and disturbed imaginations of five amazing authors and their stories as told by those five courageous contestants. 
The Evil Idol competition is hosted exclusively on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel. Starting October 1st, the 10 contestants that advanced from round one will begin competing to see which five of them will advance to the third and final round in mid-October. We need your help to decide who will be crowned the monarch of the macabre. Each contestant will be performing a full-length tale of terror, and after their performances, you'll have the chance to up or downvote each competitor and help decide whether they advance to the final round or not. Listening and voting are both 100% free, so don't forget to check it out and participate and help us crown the next queen or king of the crypt. Again, round two of the competition begins October 1st on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel or visit chillingtalesfordarknights.com forward slash evil idol 2018 for more information today. Now, it's time for our descent into depravity. So, take your seats in our theater of the mind. Have your ticket ready. Prepare yourself. The show is about to begin. In our first tale tonight, written by Stephen Shorter and performed by Evil Idol 2018 contestant Adam Woolley, we investigate the unusual cause of the mysterious sounds coming from the other side of a young man's door. I present to you, Knocking. It started when I was six years old. I was in school, it was the middle of a reading lesson, and I needed to pee, badly. At that age, actually, a fair few kids still wet themselves, and I always got paranoid about embarrassing myself in public like that. I stuck my hand up and told Mrs. Ebby that I needed to use the bathroom. After the usual speech about how I should have gone at break, she gave me the key to the disabled access toilet, as it was the closest one to my classroom. It was the middle of fifth period and the corridors were empty and seemed cavernous to me. I was a short, scrawny thing back then. I sometimes had trouble with doors, especially unlocking them, and I fumbled for a good minute or two in trying to get the blasted thing open. Anyway, as I sat on my porcelain throne, there came a knocking at the door. Someone's in here, I called, disgruntled at this disturbance. There came a pause, then the knocking resumed. It was faster now, more determined. Wait a minute! The knocking slowed, and a voice replied. Let me in! I need to come inside! The speaker's tone was thin and reedy, an adult I didn't recognize. I may have been six, but I also had a fairly good understanding of bathroom etiquette. Mainly that she didn't let more than one person into an area only slightly larger than a cupboard. Go away! The knocking intensified again until it was a frantic drumbeat, just a few feet from me and out of sight. I heard the voice shouting something, growing more and more desperate. Let me in! Just open the door, please! I was terrified by that point. The hammering and yelling was so loud and yet nobody had come to investigate it. Eventually, my teacher came to find me, angry because I'd been gone almost half an hour. When I refused to open the door to let her in, she got a spare key from the receptionist and then took me to the headmaster's office and called my parents. I was suspended for the rest of the week. I never told anyone what happened. It was a few weeks before my next encounter with this phenomenon. I had just celebrated my seventh birthday and my family were having a barbecue in my honor. It was a gloriously sunny day, 
but as soon as we'd set everything up in the allotments behind our house, the coal refused to light. My dad asked me to go and get some fire starters from the shed in the front garden. It was pretty cramped inside, and I wouldn't fit all the way, so I just opened it up, stood on my tiptoes to reach the shelf holding my objective, then shut the door. As I turned away, a frantic knocking hit the other side of the door. Open up! I need to come through! This voice was not the one I'd heard the month before. It was deeper, more brooding, and angry. I said nothing and hurried away. I had no idea what was happening, but it frightened me. As I walked away, there came a final thump, like a fist being slammed against wood, and I heard his voice again. You little bastard! I'll rip your fucking teeth out! Let me through! I ran back to my party and spent the rest of the day glancing over my shoulder. As you might have guessed by now, there was a lot of these voices. I count at least thirty total. Every month or so, I used to get them, pleading to be let through doors. Almost always, it would be immediately after I shut the door behind me, as though these strange entities had been following me. I never told anyone, but to be honest, I kind of just got used to it. It always made me jump, and some of the voices would make me feel uneasy, but I knew that I was safe, so long as I did not open the door. Some of the voices I got used to, to the extent that I even named them. There was one which always used to appear at my front door at home. We have frosted glass and I could see a silhouette of an average-sized man wearing a cap of some kind. He never spoke, but occasionally would push envelopes containing blank pieces of paper through the letterbox. I called him the postman. He was one of the more unsettling ones. If I tried to speak to him, he would look up sharply, then begin knocking. I generally left the postman alone. Twenty years on and I have retained as much normality as possible. I have plenty of friends and I even have an on and off relationship with a girl I met last year. Not bad for a guy who wakes up in the middle of the night and listens intently to noises you can't hear on the other side of the door. Yeah, my buddies think I'm strange and kooky, but they put up with it. They're all great. I'll miss them. You see, things have started to get strange. Well, stranger than usual, I suppose. Three weeks ago, I awoke sweating and crying, though I do not know why. My dream had been, from what I recall, fairly normal, when a huge shadow had abruptly fallen over everything. Literally, the second I opened my eyes, there came the knocking at my bedroom door. Not just normal knocking, though. This was truly frantic. Who goes there? I yelled. Please, help us. It replied. I was surprised. It was the sadistic, angry voice that I remember from my father's shed on my seventh birthday, but it seemed genuinely sincere. There was a pained tone to it, too, as though the speaker were grievously wounded. I actually found myself pulling back the sheets to get up, but I hesitated. I had never before been tempted to open the door. I had so rigorously drummed into my head the idea that whatever lay beyond was evil, that it was just common sense. To be quite honest, I came very close to letting the thing into my room that morning. I held out in the end. It got worse. Just two days later, I was in my local corner shop. I'd just paid for a bottle of milk and a newspaper when a great force slammed against the shop door. Simultaneously, a voice began screaming, a long, keening squeal of pain. I whirled to face the door, but there were so many flyers plastered over the glass that I could only just make out the shape of a woman on the other side, slapping her palms against the window. The shopkeeper stared at me as though I were crazy. 
In the end, I asked if he had a bathroom I could use, murmured some half-thought-out excuse and hid there for ten minutes until the screaming stopped. There were four more incidents between then and now. A mixture of screams and tearful begging. The postman stopped by yesterday, too. He knocked politely before sliding his usual letter through the letterbox. Then another. Then another. A total of ten plain brown envelopes. The postman waited for a few minutes, knocking occasionally, and then left me alone. Each letter contained a sheet of A4 paper, but somebody had taken a black pen to the pages, scribbling and shading them with such vigor that there were large tears around the center, and the edges were frayed. I shoved them back into their envelopes and tried to put it from my mind. Earlier, my bedroom door shook violently. It wasn't a scream or a howl or a roar that I heard, though. It was just crying. Dozens and dozens of voices sobbing quietly. Another blow struck my door. Plaster flaked from the walls and twirled to the carpet. Still no pleas or bargaining. Just sobbing. I jumped from my chair. A hairline crack split the frame of the door in one corner. My phone began to ring and I heard a sharp rapping at the glass of my window behind the curtains. I tried answering the phone, but it was simply yet more voices crying. Not even sobbing, though, more like bawling in terror and anguish. I hung up, but it kept ringing, so I took the battery out. I have shoved most of my furniture against the door and window. It has been three hours since this latest attempt at entry began. The battering has not abated, nor has the crying. I'm fairly sure that my door won't hold much longer. As for my mediocre barricade, it could be swept aside in two minutes. I find myself faced with the very real possibility of death, so I'm writing this memoir of sorts just in case something does happen. What do they want? Do they even want to hurt me? He seemed fearless, even malicious before. Could have driven them to this. Maybe I should open the door. Maybe I should let them in. Silence fell. I realized that even the crying had ceased. For a whole minute, I sat there. Then I got up and hurried to my door, eager to escape this claustrophobic situation. Perhaps I'd go outside where I could be far away from any doors and from the damp knocking. I pulled away my barricade and turned the handle. Locked. Kneeling, I peered through the keyhole. Behind my bedroom door was not the corridor that I remembered, but another room. Some kind of library or classroom, I think. It seemed unoccupied, but for one kid, sitting and reading with his back to me. I banged on the door. Hey, kid, let me out, okay? He glanced over his shoulder. Yeah, over here. Could you open the door, please? I can't. I'm in detention. I'm not supposed to talk to anyone. Go away. He turned from me. Confused and exacerbated, I began to stand up. A loud bang shattered the silence once more. I realized it sounded like a fist being pounded against glass. My window. I heard it again. But this was not the frantic knocking of somebody wanting to get inside. This was not even an attempt to break in. Whatever was beyond the curtain and glass knew I was inside. It knew I was frightened. In the most predatory and sadistic way possible... Wanted me to be afraid. I turned back to the door and began hammering on it frantically. Hey, let me in, okay? 
I really need you to open the door. I hope you enjoyed Knocking by Stephen Shorter as performed by Evil Idol 2018 voice acting competition contestant Adam Woolley. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale for you from author Rochelle Bowman about the innocence of children taken to an extreme. Narrated by Evil Idol contestant Lady McCreepstar. But first, I'd like to tell you a bit more about today's sponsor, Empty Faces, and what makes them and their support of our program so unique. When you sign up for Empty Faces, you're more than an observer. You become a character inside their story, and like a detective or a paranormal investigator, you've got to piece together a puzzle in order to stop an unspeakable evil. The entire experience is interactive, and wow, is it ever detailed. It feels real. Empty Faces is a monthly subscription, so every month more clues, items, and correspondence are delivered to you, which build up to a thrilling conclusion. It's like a TV show you can touch. The kit we received at our studios this month, for example, contained a bunch of cool props, including real sage, written clues, and a protective pendant. It's also lifelike. Even the UPS guy got freaked out by the black box covered in sigils, scented like the package itself was made to ward off demons. You can do empty faces with friends for a game night. Or the best part, you can join their online community to swap theories and ideas with horror and mystery fanatics just like you. You're missing out if you don't try that feature. It's amazing. Empty Faces also offers free online resources and hints to help keep you on track. A word of warning. This service is not for the faint of heart. It's scary. It's creepy. But it's also a lot of fun. More people are joining every day, so get in early. They only accept 200 new members a day, so visit EmptyFaces.com today and get started. As a reminder, our listeners will all get 10% off their first box with the promo code SCARY. Once more, that code is SCARY, spelled S-C-A-R-Y. So what are you waiting for? Visit EmptyFaces.com today and find out if you've got what it takes to Stop the evil. Thanks for your support of this show and our sponsor. Now, without further ado, we've got another chilling tale for you to enjoy. So grab your safety blanket and snuggle up. Things are about to get intense. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
Our second story this evening is entitled, My Best Friend Was a Mermaid, by author Rochelle Bowman, as voiced by Evil Idol 2018 competitor, Lady McCreepster. The summer before I started school, my mom was hospitalized for an extraordinarily high-risk pregnancy. My dad was pulling double shifts to keep us afloat, which meant no one had time to take care of me. So, they shipped me to my aunt's house, a thousand miles away. I was excited at first. I was obsessed with the idea of adventure. A real adventure with magical creatures and quests. Maybe this trip would be the catalyst to just such an adventure. By the time we reached my aunt's enormous and breathtakingly beautiful mountain property, I fully believed I was about to embark on my very own fairy tale. The fairy tale dissipated when my father drove away the next morning. I watched his car disappear, trying not to cry and failing miserably. When you are six years old, a day feels like a week. A day with strangers feels twice as long, especially when the strangers aren't kind. Aunt Charlotte didn't particularly care for my mother and, by extension, didn't particularly care for me. Nor did her children. Charles and Alan loved nothing more than scaring me to death with stories of serial killers and child-drowning ghosts. They also made it extraordinarily clear that I ranked far below them in the family hierarchy. So, I spent my days roaming the property... Rocky peaks stood sentry in every direction, rising from the landscape like curious giants. Stands of aspens rattled in the wind, snowy bark shining, and the wildflowers, fragrant, multicolored carpets of blossoms spreading across meadows and trailing under the trees where they glowed like dim, warm lights. The outdoors soothed my isolation as effectively as a salve. In late June... The zenith of summer, just before the walloping heat of July burns everything to a dry tangle, I found the neighbor's house, small and rundown, with a garbage-strewn lawn. Through an open window, I saw a woman. She didn't look right. Half-lidded eyes stared blankly at the ceiling, and her mouth hung open. I turned away and continued my hike. There's something sharp in mountain air, a clean wildness that simultaneously heightens your senses and intoxicates you. I drifted through the forest in a delighted haze until a voice broke my reverie. A child's voice, happily singing. I perked up. Fairies and nymphs sang in forests. Maybe I'd found my very own magical creature. Maybe this was the start of my adventure. I ran through the trees. Aspens rattled in my wake, breaking apart suddenly to reveal a murky pond. And in the pond, a little girl with long black hair. I froze. So did she. Sun shafted through the trees, drenching her in golden light. Hi, I said nervously. My name's Rachel. I held up my fingers. 
and six. The girl's eyes shone, large and dark, yet somehow golden, like sunlight glancing off tar. I'm Lorelei, and I'm a mermaid. I stepped closer, feet crunching on twigs and leaves. I've never met a mermaid. I'm the last one, my mother told me. She swanned across the pond, stopping just short of the edge. Is your mom a mermaid? No, just human. She had five kids, all mermaids. Every last one died except me. Shocked tears burned my eyes. All of them? All of them, she intoned. It's not her fault. She didn't know her kids were mermaids, but she finally figured it out in time to save me. Do you live in the water? Yes, for ten hours a day. I come in at night since I'm scared of the dark. That's because I'm not all the way mermaid yet. She ducked underwater and erupted with a glittering splash. When I'm all the way mermaid, nothing will scare me. What do you mean, not all the way mermaid? I crept closer. The earth was dangerously soft under my feet, like it might crumble into the water. Lorelei was clearly enjoying herself. Mermaids look like humans unless they spend lots of time in the water. Water washes away the human part so the mermaid part can come out. I have to be in the water at least ten hours. She held up her own small, wrinkly fingers. Every day, or I'll get sick and die. When will you become full mermaid? Soon. She swam to the other end, once more stopping several inches short of the shore. Mom says changing hurts, and I hurt everywhere. Oh, I'm sorry. Lorelei smiled radiantly. Don't be. When I'm a mermaid, I'll find a special tunnel at the bottom of the pond. It leads to the ocean, but only mermaids can see it. I can't wait. Have you seen the ocean? Yes, I said. My dad takes me to Cabrillo Beach. Where's that? California. Her eyes went wide and she clapped her hands. I noticed that they were covered in swollen red bumps like bug bites. <gasps> You're from California? We spent the rest of the afternoon discussing the California coast. I'll come see you when I'm a mermaid, Lorelai promised. You can't be scared though. Four mermaids aren't pretty, but we're really nice, if you give us a chance. I'll give you lots of chances. You're the nicest person I've ever met. Nicest mermaid, she corrected and laughed. I visited Lorelai every morning and left just before sunset. That's when her mom came to fetch her. I had to leave before then because she'd be furious that I'd discovered Lorelai's secret. Every day, I brought chips, sandwiches, and drawings of mermaids. We sang nursery rhymes and lullabies, the blues clues theme, and original compositions. Mostly, we talked. We discussed everything. California, the ocean, fairy tales, the forest, her dead siblings, and my forthcoming brother. You need to check if he's a mermaid, she said seriously. If he is... You have to put him in the water so he doesn't die. How can you tell? My mom says you have to listen to your lizard brain. Lorelai answered. It knows. That night, I dreamt of drowned babies and long, sinuous lizards crawling out of my eyes to whisper strange secrets in my ear. 
Lorelai was a welcomed break from everything else. From my cousins, who constantly tormented me and scared me to death with the ghost stories. From my aunt, who ignored me. And from my own fears, which ate me alive unless I was with Lorelai. As June bled into July, and July hobbled into a breathless and suffocating August, I realized Lorelai was the best friend I ever had. I told her so one afternoon as I lay belly down on the damp shore. She gave me a tired smile. I figured she must have been close to becoming full mermaid because she looked awful, bone thin with dark hollows under her eyes and broken teeth. You're the only friend I've ever had. How so? You're so nice. She swam over, stopping several inches short of the edge as always. She was so close I could smell her breath, which was ghastly. People are scared of mermaids. That's why mom hides me. But being friends with a mermaid is super lucky. She took my hand. Her skin was cold and somehow thin, like a fish belly, white and nearly translucent, except for the angry red welts and mosquito bites. I'll make you the luckiest person in the world, I promise. The prospect of mermaid luck made me so giddy I couldn't contain myself. When I got home that night, I regaled everyone with tales of my mermaid friend, Lorelai. Charlotte exchanged a worried glance with her husband. Then Charles snorted with laughter. <laughs> a mermaid? Stupid. Charles, what? He gaffed again. She's talking about mermaids. Her imaginary friend is so stupid it lives in stagnant water, Alan added. No, I stood up angrily. Her name is Lorelai and she's real. I'll show you right now but nobody wanted to tromp across several woodland acres in the growing dark because nobody believed in mermaids. Nobody, except me. Over the following days, Lorelai's condition deteriorated severely. Mosquito bites peppered her water-wrinkled skin. Strange, puffy welts snaked over her body. Her long hair became a haven for waterbugs and detritus. I feel these things in my skin. She extended her rashy, welt-covered arm. I think I have bugs inside me. She grimaced. When I'm a mermaid, I'll be poisonous to bugs. They'll never bite me again. Looking at her, the skeletal form, the stark, almost inhuman sharpness of her face, made me want to cry. I wish I could help you. You do, she assured me. You'll be here when I turn into a mermaid and you'll show me how to get to California. She took my hands. Hers were terribly weak and cold. You should go. It's almost sunset. Thick golden light drowned the world in an ethereal haze. But sure enough, shadows were growing, devouring that light before my eyes. Okay. See you tomorrow, Lorelai. See you tomorrow, Rachel. That gilded sunlight lay over her like a blanket. It erased the sickness and ugliness, leaving a small, dark-haired angel. A real mermaid.
As I left, she broke into a song. The melody echoed through the forest. For so long, it could have been magic. That night, Charles scared me with his favourite ghost story. Alan insisted he'd seen the ghost in question, a rail-thin woman draped in white, drifting through the trees outside my window. They brought me to tears. Then they told me they were going ghost hunting and I had to come along. They forced me into the forest. Heavy shadows blanketed the trees black, blue and deep, ominous purple, thick as curtains. Finally, we stopped in a clearing. Aspens ringed the little meadow, glimmering weirdly like skinny ghosts full of unblinking eyes. They poured a ring of salt in an uneven circle and chanted. Their voices filled the night, underscored by the light wind and the eerie rattle of the leaves. Weeping Lady of the Woods, Charles finally bellowed. We summon you now. Silence. Then, a sound. High, miserable and broken. Sobbing. My cousins froze. The weeping continued, a haunting, atonal melody bleeding through the night. Charles ran and Alan followed. I watched them go frozen to the spot until the sobbing broke my paralysis. I tore after them, expecting long white hands to reach out of the darkness and pull me away. We ran for what felt like hours. When the house finally came into sight, I had a second of relief before I tripped and skidded down the slope. A tree trunk hurtled towards me like a rocket. Then, everything went dark. I woke up in a hospital. Minor skull fracture and a concussion, but otherwise okay. I went home three days later. Three days after that, I crept out of the house to see Lorelei. On my way to the pond, I entered an aspen-ringed clearing. My feet crunched weirdly. I looked down and saw a dirty, uneven ring of salt. This was where my cousins held their stupid seance. Just a few minutes later, I saw the pond glimmering through the trees. Relief and excitement coursed through me. Lorelei! Nothing. The water shone, a field of gold interrupted by mosquitoes and waterbugs. Lorelei? I circled the pond, dread building with every step. I called and eventually screamed, but there was no point. Lorelei was gone. She'd turned into a mermaid, and I'd missed it. She'd never get to California now. I sat down and wept for hours. Toward sunset, a shrill wail shocked me out of my daze. Fear coiled in my guts as it sounded again. Not a wail. A siren. I followed the sound to that broken-down little house. Flashing lights drenched the trees in red and blue. The window, still wide open, blazed with light. Paramedics loaded an inert body onto a stretcher and carried it outside to the ambulance. A police radio crackled and a cop looked up. 
Had it not been for the trees, she would have seen me. Maybe they were looking for me. I'd run away even though I had a skull fracture and was supposed to stay in bed. Maybe they'd arrest me. I tiptoed into the forest and went home. By the time I reached my aunt's house, dark had long since fallen. I felt sick and dizzy, and my head throbbed with every step. Everyone was waiting for me. Cousins, aunt and uncle, and, to my horror, a policeman. My aunt stormed over. I thought she was going to hit me. Instead, she gathered me into a hug and held me tight. This is what they told me. The neighbor was a mentally ill drug addict who overdosed several days before. A welfare check from her landlord led to the discovery of her body. She had five children. Three were in foster care. One died of SIDS. The last, a girl named Lorelei, was officially missing. A filthy, bedbug-infested bedroom indicated that a child lived in that house. It was covered in mermaid memorabilia, including several pictures I'd drawn for her. But they couldn't find her. I told them about the pond. Their horrified expressions were at odds with the hysterical relief I felt. It's because she's a mermaid. She turned into a mermaid and swam to California. They searched the pond that night. At the bottom was an algae-slick block of granite. Chained to the block was the corpse of an emaciated little girl with long black hair. It's been twenty years. I can't shake the memory of the seance, of the shrill crying echoing in the darkness. I was stupid enough to believe it was a ghost. But it was just a little girl who was scared of the dark. Our third tale tonight comes to us courtesy of author Matt Chatham and is voiced by Evil Idol 2018 competitor Zoraida. I present to you That Night in the Mirror. I'll tell you right now that my story doesn't have any dramatic climax or any cathartic resolution. Don't bother reading it if that's what you're looking for. My story is of one very specific moment in my life. One which, try as I might, I cannot negate as a trick my exhausted brain played on me, or a momentary lapse of reason and subsequent plunge into childish fears. I think a fear of mirrors must be fairly common in this day and age. I remember when I was young, I saw one of those compilation TV horror shows. The ones where there'd be a different short scary story between commercial breaks. In retrospect, it wasn't the scariest thing in the world. And if I saw it again today, I would probably invite friends over and... We could quash our collective fear by mocking the bad acting or ridiculous storyline. 
All I remember of it is that in the story, a man was being constantly tormented by a disfigured, murderous psychopath, but he only saw him when he looked in the mirror. The whole story was a typical song and dance of the man catching his stalker in the mirror behind him, turning to face him, and finding nothing there. Maybe the reason I remember it so well is because it was so shortly after I heard my mom die. I say heard because I never saw her body. I was watching TV, a different show, when I heard what sounded like porcelain breaking, followed by a loud thud coming from the kitchen two rooms away. The sudden noise was oddly unsurprising, but I remember craning my head to see my mom's legs sprawled on the tiled floor. I couldn't see any more of her. The doorframe was in the way. Luckily, I suppose, my father ran in first, calling her name somewhat frantically. As I stood up, but did not advance out of what I imagined was fear, I remember him telling me to stay where I was. The doctors told us a virus had gotten into her heart. I remember my father protesting that he hadn't even heard of that before. Neither had I, but the concept of death itself was fairly new to me and I remember being filled with an overwhelming sense of existential fear, as if I or anyone I knew could suddenly crumble into a pile of lifeless dust at any moment. I don't think I was a very fearful child, though. Not more so than most. And even my uneasiness around mirrors didn't exactly trump my other fears of spiders or being in cramped spaces. I guess it makes sense that mirrors are a source of fear for people. One of the defining signs of self-awareness is whether or not an animal recognizes itself in the mirror. Maybe we still retain some primal belief that what we're seeing really isn't us but some sinister shadow self. Not to mention all the scenes in horror movies that use them. A character bends down to splash water in their face, and when they lift their head back up, their face is distorted in some gruesome way. I had just gotten home from a party at a nearby frat house, I lived in an old Victorian house that four of my friends from school and I rented. I was the only one home, having left the party early, if you can call two in the morning early, and my roommates were all still out. I ran upstairs to my room, exhausted and wanting nothing more than to lay in my bed and feel the rest of the world leave me behind. But I didn't. In rare form, I decided to take a few more steps down the hall to the old, poorly designed bathroom two of my roommates shared with me. 
It was lit by a single fluorescent bulb, casting the black and white tile in a sickly near-green color. I ran a thin strip of toothpaste on my brush and gave my teeth a once-over before spitting the slightly brown spit and foam down the sink. When I looked up, I saw her. Standing behind me in the bathtub with the curtain drawn wide open. My mother's mouth hung down as if screaming, but without any sound. I could tell it was my mother, but she was a grotesque shadow of how I remember her. Her eyes were either completely gone or simply black in color. The sockets were vacuums within which nothing reflected. Her skin was so pale it was almost blue, and her dark hair looked drenched in water, hugging her scalp tight and falling in front of her shoulders in thin strips. Her mouth wasn't exactly screaming so much as hanging open. Impossibly open. Much further than a person's jaw can extend. She seemed to be wearing a thin white nightgown, drenched like her hair, and clinging to her emaciated body. Her stick legs looked like they were going to buckle under her weight, while her arms reached back against the walls. I must have only seen her for seconds before turning, screaming, and falling backwards, slamming hard against the tiled floor. The tub was empty. There had been no sound, and now, as the echoes of my cry dissipated, I could only hear my heavy breathing. I don't know how long I lay on the floor of the bathroom. The fluorescent bulb dully buzzing as I became too frightened to even move. Eventually, I heard the downstairs doors swing open as a parade of drunk college boys and their floozies poured in for the night. They found me on the floor and thought it was hilarious that I was so drunk I had almost passed out in the bathroom. I never saw her again. I never want to see her again. And every day... I wish I hadn't. There are myths of people being scared to death or being haunted by dreams of a single event for their whole lives. I've had dreams too, but they aren't what haunts me to this very day. When someone you love dies, you tend to forget everything bad about them, and eventually... Your fond memories of them just coalesce into a fondness you share with everyone else that knew them. But that's not how I feel about my mother. I was too young to have endless loving stories about her. Instead, all I can remember is her face that night in the mirror. My story doesn't end with me taking my own life or anything dramatic like that. 
I have thought about it, though. I tried putting a length of rope across my neck one day and squeezing just to see what it would feel like. But I would never go through with it. It isn't so much that I want to live. What bothers me the most is that I don't know for sure what happens when we die. Nobody knows. But what I saw that night in the mirror makes me think I do. This is host Jonathan West thanking you for joining us once again for tonight's celebration of the sinister. Thanks again to today's sponsors, Empty Faces, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you can get 10% off your first box of mysteries by using the promo code SCARY. Once more, just visit EmptyFaces.com and enter the word SCARY. That's S-C-A-R-Y to let them know that we sent you. What have you got to lose? Except for maybe some sleep. Yeah, but that's okay. Who needs that sleep thing anyway? (laughs) And if you're in the mood for more horror than you can handle, don't forget to check out the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel weekdays, beginning Monday, October 1st, for the start of the second round of the 2018 Evil Idol voice acting competition, with 10 voice talents, including those you heard on this episode today, competing to see who will become the next Tyrant of Terror. Every contestant's fate will be sealed by our judging panel and by those in the audience, including you. So don't forget to vote and help decide who wins. And of course, don't forget to join us again next time when we once again dive deep into the minds of the most unsettling authors and breathe life into the most unholy of horrors in this, our theater of the mind. Until then, if your lights suddenly go out and you find yourself chilled to the bone. Looking over your shoulder, there's no need to run for cover. You may just be experiencing the Simply Scary Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Taylor, and you've been listening to the Simply Scary Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's episode was written by Craig Roshek and performed by special guests Jason Hill, host of the Horror Hill podcast, and Otis Jiry, host of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Visit us at chillingtalesfordarknights.com today to support this program by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to premium extended versions of our episodes, our audio archive, and ad-free downloads of all of your favorite stories, including those you've heard today. The host of the Simply Scary podcast is GM Danielson. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music for the program was produced by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering are overseen by the executive producer and director, Craig Groshek, with production of individual stories by members of our talented sound design team. Artwork for the show's episodes by David Romero. For more information about the authors, performers, and artists involved in the production of this and our other episodes, visit our website today. Got a scary story of your own that you'd like performed? 
we take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tale considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and our other programs. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from us and another episode of this program each and every Tuesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button and tell us how we're doing and leave a comment. Until next week, listeners, turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.